You're listening to State of the Arts, a show about the arts, theater, and creatives in and around the Philippines. Located in the beautiful Samsung Performing Arts Theater in Circuit Makati, Makati's Arts and Entertainment District, where something amazing is always on. On each episode, we invite industry leaders, arts practitioners, and audience members to talk about current events that shape and further the arts in the country. My name is Christopher. Together, let's talk art. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of the second season of State of the Arts. Can you believe it? A full season has already gone by. We were honored to have all these artists and leaders share with us their thoughts and dreams for a vital and active arts in the Philippines. What has started out as a channel for the Samsung Performing Arts Theater to engage and reach out to the community has now become an important addition in our efforts to advocate for the global Filipino artists. And what better way to kick off our second season during National Arts Month by talking to one of the most ardent champions of the Filipino talent. Our guest today is an artist, a teacher, an entrepreneur, and a philanthropist. She's been supporting and cultivating Filipino talent for close to 27 years. She's the founder and director of one of the largest dance schools in the country and is the managing director of its accompanying foundation. I've long admired their tireless efforts in promoting the best of Philippine dance here and abroad, and I'm truly honored to consider her a very good friend. Please join me in welcoming the talented, inspiring, and always beautiful, inside and out, Miss Sofia Zobel Elisalde. Welcome to the show, Sofia. Hi, Chris. Thank you so much for that introduction, and uh, thank you for inviting me onto this uh, wonderful podcast. Very exciting that you're doing this. Of course. How have you been doing? Well, good. I mean, when I was listening to you speak, I said, wow, it really has been an incredible year since this whole journey of the pandemic started because it, it has really affected, well, it, it has affected so many lives, but I think um, for artists in specific, it has had a lot of effect on them. And, and the whole art scene in the world. So, right. but here we are, we're still here and we're okay. And, um, and everybody is learning how to live with this virus at the moment. And I think a lot of artists are trying to figure out how to keep moving forward. So I think it's, I think it's a good thing. Exactly. And we're, we are definitely all hoping for a better 2021. You bet. Let's hope that, That's for sure. Yes, yes. Well, I was just going to say thanks again for joining me for this episode. I know you're busy and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. I'm excited for the listeners to learn more about you and your work. Why don't we start by briefly letting them know how you got into the arts? Yes. So, um, you know, uh, Chris, ever since I was a little girl, um, I, I, I I can't remember a day that I was not exposed to the arts. My both my mother and my father are big art lovers, and most especially, I would say for dance. Uh, my mother ballet always loved classical ballet, and my father loved all kinds of dance. So when I was young, uh, they exposed me 
uh, by bringing me a lot to the theater. And and my mother took me to my first dance class when I was only four years old. Uh, we're seven children in the family. And I think my mother always jokes that she tried all five girls. And I think I was the only one that really just, you know, uh, you know, took it on and loved it very, very much. But um, so I, it's really been a part of my whole life. And, um, and that's it. I, I, I can't imagine my life without it, really. Fantastic. Yeah. And you went to Elmhurst yes. to pursue further studies in dance? Yes. Yeah, so I started um, as a young student here in the Philippines. Okay. Um, and I started actually with a local ballet school under Chloe Robolo uh, that was near my home. And then my mother brought me uh, to what was then called the CCP Dance School, um, okay. which was a wonderful experience because, you know, the school was in the CCP, uh, the, the cultural center of the Philippines. So it was incredible that I was exposed to many artists back then. Uh, and then when I was um, uh, ready for high school, uh, my mother felt that because I loved dance so much, she felt it would be a good idea to send me to a high school for the performing arts. So that's when I auditioned in England and um, I got into Elmhurst Ballet School and I spent four years there. And that's really when um, I realized that I really wanted to make dance a profession. So, I see. yeah, so it was after that that I came back to the Philippines and decided to uh, join Ballet Philippines. And but, how was that experience for you? Wonderful. Well, you know, I, I sort of grew up, like I said, I, I, I went to the CCP dance school and then I, I became a scholar of the school. Then I became a scholar of the company. So it was actually one of the best experiences of my life. I, you know, growing up amongst all these incredible artists and um, I felt very at home there. In fact, one of my fondest memories was when um, at a very young age of, I must have been about eight years old, eight or nine, I was casted as Clara in the Nutcracker. Actually, before that, I was just a guest in the in the full length ballet, and then and then I I got the lucky role of being Clara for several years, and I mm -hmm. think that really opened up my eyes to the whole world of classical ballet and being a part of a full length and you know, really learning the discipline behind dance. And um, and that was when it all began. And that's actually when I decided to really make it a very serious part of my life. I see. I see. Well, Sophia, doing dance or being involved in dance for such a long time now and listening to you talk about what really got you passionate about it, what is it about dance that you think excites you the most even to this day? Uh, well, you know, my years as a dancer, uh, when you're really meant for dance, there is an incredible feeling that you get when you're dancing. I, it's hard to explain. It's just the more you dance and perform and you get that high, um, out of it and that enjoyment and it's addictive. It's like you get you get addicted to it. You want it more and you want to get better. And then it's also it's also like being an athlete, Chris. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the stronger you become, 
And the more you understand the art form and the more advanced you get, the more you want to perfect it and the more you want out of it. And I think that, um, you know, dance is really an internal kind of training. You know, it's a quiet way of training. You're very quiet in the room. You're being told by the teacher what to do with your body. So you really have to think um, and put it into your body. So that's why I say it's a it's a bit of a quiet art form because you really have to work on yourself um, technically, on your body, on the mm-hmm. character you're playing. And then, of course, when you play a character, when you're in the dance, you get lost in it. So and that's that for me is the best part when when you're performing something and you get lost in the movement and you get lost in the dance. And you either become somebody else or you become what the dance means. I think that that's when the most enjoyment comes into it. Right. You know, right. As an artist. A, yes. Well, in, in 1994, you founded your school, Step Dance Studio. Yes. Um, what, what made you realize your passion for the art form would be best served by putting up your own dance school? Well, it's interesting because um, I was in uh, Bali, Philippines for about eight, eight years, eight or nine years. And okay. I, I have to say that very happy, happy years for me. Uh, I learned a lot from Bali, Philippines, and I'm very grateful to the company for everything that they taught me. But interestingly enough, um, at a young age of 25, uh, mm-hmm. I fell in love. <laughs> and... Um, I wanted to get married, and I knew that if I continued dancing, uh, it would be very difficult to start a family because okay. really you have to make so many sacrifices as a female sure. dancer, right? You you really can't have children right away. You know, you're performing, you're pushing your body to its limits. You you have to be really fit. So I don't know. I, at 25, I just said, you know what? I've been dancing my whole life. I've I've done most of the performances that I've wanted to do. And I had this sort of burning desire to teach mm-hmm. um, very young. So I, I made a decision at a very young age that this is it. I'm going to stop dancing for now, but I can't let go of dance completely. So I said, I, I'm going to start school. And I had no idea, Chris, what was going to happen. I just, I said, <laughs> you know what? I'm going to teach. And Interestingly enough, when I was at Elmhurst, it's where I got introduced to the Royal Academy of Dance. And okay. I actually took my, my, my major exams there. I did at the time it was, you know, elementary, intermediate and advanced. And right. little did I know that I was going to use it later on in my life as a teacher. So it, and and uh, Sophia, sorry to cut you off. I yeah. was going to say, for those that are not um, informed, the Royal Academy of Dance is the dance... It's, so- that's based out of London. Yes, it's a it's a teaching syllabus um, that has actually been around many many years, and they put it together to be able to make sure that uh, dance students were getting the right training. Um, training. It was actually it's it was uh, created to train teachers on how to teach ballet properly to the general public. So, mm-hmm. but it really gives you a very solid background on ballet. And while I was at Elmhurst, I had to take all those exams, which qualified me to become an RAD teacher. So, okay. so I used that right away when I started my school. And, you know, I, I really didn't think too far ahead. I just said, you know, 
I've had so much experience in dance that um, I want to pass it on now to the next generation. And um, so I started my school and I wanted a school that taught not just ballet at a high level, but mm-hmm. I wanted to teach all kinds of dance, which was actually very unusual back then, uh, mm-hmm. Chris, because in back in 1994, I mean, you were either a ballet school or you taught contemporary dance or some or jazz, but you never had it all in one place. I see. And I remember actually that I was being judged a lot back then because I was teaching ballet and we had modern dance and we had jazz and people said, oh, you know, you can't, you can't cross over. You know, if you're doing ballet, you should only do ballet. Or if you're doing modern, you should only do modern. And I, and I, I didn't believe it at the time. I said, no, I think if you want to be a dancer, you have to learn it all at a very mm-hmm. young age. And then as you develop, then you can focus more on one. And I think you would agree with me that now when you see dancers, they're so athletic. Yeah, and they're very diverse. Yes, so I think it it was to the dancers' benefit that they had a chance to try everything in my school. Right. Well, listening to that story of yours, and I, I know it was important for you that Filipino dance students are provided the same set of environment as their peers internationally. Was this sort of the motivating factor in building a space that is international in standards, conducive to professional dance, but at the same time, it's fun and a safe place for recreational students. Yes, definitely. Uh, So, you know, I was very fortunate to have, you know, experienced wonderful schools uh, locally and abroad. And I think, number one, you need a good facility. Um, And so I felt that a good dance studio, proper floors, a good space, and uh, a place where, you know, interestingly enough, I, you know, when you've been a dancer, you realize that you spend most of the hours dancing in the studio. So you have to bring your homework with you from school and, and you have to do a lot near, near the studio. So I wanted mm-hmm. to create a place where young people who really wanted to train could come, bring their homework and spend basically their after hours from school, you know, there in one place, in one yes. place, and sort of go from, you know, one class to the other, and in between, be able to do their homework and safe environment with like-minded people, uh, other kids or like them wanted to learn how to dance at a high level, and mm-hmm. and with with good, you know, uh, a a place that was conducive to good dance training. Right. Yeah. Looking back through all these years, are there some things that still surprise you about the school to this day? I I learn something new every year. <laughs> you know, really, it's like shocking. <laughs> I thought I I had seen it all, but um, yeah, I you know what the learning Chris never stops. Um, I've had my school now for twenty seven years, um, and you know, uh, I think the world is constantly changing. And I'd like to, um, I'd like to think of steps as a progressive school. I've always emphasized that uh, as a dance school, I have to be progressive. The world is changing so quickly. In fact, when when you know, when computers began and and the internet and then social media, mm-hmm. everything just started moving so quickly. And even right. the way dancers moved changed. Um, or developed. Yes. Developed like uh, 
one thing you know I've seen in just the last year or two is that in my time, um, just by doing ballet classes every day, you know, put us in shape for right. you know to be in a company. But now, I'm seeing that you have to cross train with right. other forms of fitness to be able to have the strength to be able to do what is demanded of us now as dancers. That was not used during my time. In our time, it was you just did your daily technique classes and then you performed, right? Mm-hmm. Now that's not enough. I think you have to, I think dancers are beco- becoming more athletic. Right. And we have to sort of keep up with that. That's great. I was just going to say, your foundation, the Step Scholarship Foundation, how soon after the school was built did this become part of your mission? Yeah. So when I first started my school, um, I noticed that a lot of kids wanted to come in and train and and do the daily training, but they found it quite expensive. And um, I was losing a lot of the very talented kids because they just couldn't afford it. Or the very talented kids could only afford to pay for like a twice a week schedule. Whereas I knew that if they really wanted to make something out of it, they had to come daily. Uh, And that's when I saw the real need to create a scholarship program. Because I said, if I really want to, uh, if I really want to create really good dancers, they have to come Mm -hmm. in every day. And then, um, so that sort of started me with a foundation. And then I started going to, um, reaching out to public schools and opening up there and wow, the magic that happened in my studio when, 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 you know, when we could give equal opportunities to children from mm-hmm. all backgrounds, but the, you know, what they had in common is they just wanted to dance. Then right. you started really finding real talent and allowing these kids to be able to have the same opportunities as other kids. But I, I really believe that children should have equal opportunities mm-hmm. in everything. So dance is one of them. Well, I know from experience that one of the most challenging things of sustaining a foundation such as yours is raising the funds. For the <laughs> That's like the that biggest headache. <laughs> <laughs> How were you able to manage this challenge throughout the years? You know, when I started my foundation, I really, I didn't know anything about raising money or uh, I think I learned as I went along. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm always, I've always been a believer that, um, you know, when the intention is sincere, then you will achieve your goal. And it's true because, you know, you, if you, if you sincerely have in your heart that you want to find talent and you want to give equal opportunity. Uh, you slowly start learning how to do it. And I think a lot of the funds that we raised were because people saw how the scholars were dancing and how good they Mm -hmm. were becoming. And people naturally just wanted to help. So, you know, in the beginning, yes, we had to reach out and uh, ask, you know, for sponsorships or donations. Mm -hmm. But then I've, I've gotten to a point now where just, People, when people watch our scholars in performances, they just, they get in touch with me and they say, we're very impressed with what you're doing. How can we help? And, and that's what I mean by 
when people see a sincerity in the work that you're doing, they will come forward to help you. So yeah, so it that it sort of it evolves on its own. And then little by little you build you build a group of people that really believe in your in your goal and uh and what you want to achieve and they come to help you. Nice. Well, speaking of all the quality of work that you do with your school and with your foundation, I'm sure there have been several proud moments emerging from the many programs you initiated with the foundation. Can you talk about those that you felt were really significant and still gives you pride long after your work for them is done? Uh, well, you know, there's so much. In the, in the 27 years, I, I, I've been so proud of many things. Uh, you know, I have, I, you know, the first, I had three male scholars. They were my very first scholars in the school. Uh, maybe early on, like maybe after like the first five years of the school. And uh, I'm proud to say that one of them has become one of my regular teachers, Marion, uh, Marion and um, uh-huh. Ignacio. And then uh, Jason, who was one of my first boys. I, re- I remember he came into the class and he didn't even have ballet shoes. He came barefoot. And that's, mm. that was our first day. And then, um, then we slowly, you know, I, he, he was a natural dancer, a natural mover. But he wanted to learn more about classical ballet. Anyway, he went, he then auditioned by video onto Ailey, made it to New York. And then he's won many awards since then. And then the third brother also ended up abroad, dancing abroad. Um, so, and, and that was the start of a lot of our boys. I think I've been very proud of a lot of the boys that have come through the school. We took, um, Marcelino Libau to the Prix de Lausanne. And then he went to Hamburg Valley from there. We have had a lot of students uh, come go to local companies, you know, Philippine Ballet Theater, Ballet Philippines, Ballet Manila. Uh, so all of these students make me proud. Um, but I'm also very proud of the teachers that we have as well. Mm-hmm. I have to say that uh, behind every great student is a great teacher. And I'm proud to say that a lot of my teachers have been with me many, many years. And they're very good. Um, so that's another aspect of the school that gives me pride. Um, and and I think also I see now a lot of the dancers that came through my school are now mm-hmm. coming back uh, to help, to teach, to choreograph, uh, to, to be guest performers. So I would say also my alumni. I mean, everybody that's come through Steps, in some way or another, they come to me and they say, oh, you know, Steps taught me so much. A lot of my work ethic came from Steps. A lot of the discipline I learned came from your school. Uh, They tell me stories. So, you know, Chris, all of these things really make me so proud, from the smallest thing to the largest thing, you know. That's Um, so exciting. It's really good to hear. Congratulations. Yeah. 27 years, definitely. You've done a lot. Yes. But I just have to add one more thing. Uh, yes. Lately, Elwins, uh, I have, I had two boys in the school, Vince Pellegrin and Elwins Montita. Uh, they were noticed by Sasha Ledetsky and Stella Abrera when they both came to perform here in the Philippines. And 
both of them were given scholarships. Uh, well, Vince was given a full scholarship and Elvis was given a place at the JKO school in New York. And Stella and Sasha are both stars at the American Ballet Theater. Yes, so Stella Brera was principal dancer at uh, American Ballet Theater for many years. And Sasha Radetzky was also a soloist, I believe, in in the American Ballet Theater. Mm -hmm. And and they they came as guests uh, to perform here. And they noticed these two young boys that I had in my school and Elwin's was just offered a contract with the main company, which is extraordinary. Fantastic. And, and That's great news. Yes, and Vince is still in JKO and, and you know, working very hard uh, to find a place in a company in the United States. So that's that happened recently. But again, mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't like we tried out for anything. I mean, these boys were just dancing and were noticed. So that's right. what I mean by when you do good work, you know, things just, fall into place. That's early law, yes. Well, I was going to say the core of your work, or should I say your continued passion for dance and the arts in general, is really fueled by your commitment to cultivating and advocating for the Filipino talent. Why do you feel that it's important for Filipino artists, especially those that are up and coming, to get the support that they need? Well, so I've always said, you know, I, I really believe that the heart and soul of a country is their arts and culture. So it's extremely important to support it. Uh, Filipinos are natural artists. You see it in the fine arts. You see it in dance. Uh, Filipinos move a certain way. It's very strong in our blood, you know, in the Philippine blood. And I, and I really do believe that we have to, uh, the Philippines has a lot of struggles in many areas and, we have to support our artists because it is our artists that represent us locally and abroad. And I think we have a lot to share with the rest of the world. And um, I'm incredibly proud of all the Filipinos, uh, Filipino dancers, actually, that, you know, have gone abroad and really represented us as incredible artists. Um, and so, yeah, we have to. Again, I say it's about giving equal opportunities to our young students here. Because if they are given those equal opportunities, uh, I have no doubt that they will, they will reach very high levels. But they have to be given the chances. Uh, a lot of the scholars that I had, like Elwins, um, he had no idea he was going to become a classical dancer one day. He was a young boy at the Centex uh, school in Tondo. His father was a tricycle driver. His mother was just a stay-at-home mom. And he saw a sign one day in his school saying audition for, you know, the ballet program at Steps Dance Studio. So he was told by his teacher to just give it a try. And in a small little classroom, he did a bit of street dance. And we noticed him and we brought him in. And when we gave him a beautiful studio to work in and first-rate teachers to train under. This boy just flourished. He flourished and became a classical dancer. <laughs> um, you know, and and like I said, I don't think even he realized what was what his life had in store for him. Mm-hmm. And actually, right now, well, because of the pandemic, sadly, that you know his his performances abroad were cut a little short, but. 
He's actually now here and getting ready to go back to New York in March. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's going to be training in what they call the dance bubbles. So they Mm -hmm. quarantine together and he's going to be working with some top choreographers and working with a pool of very talented um, young dancers from the studio company from all over the world. So that's exciting. And he's what, 19 years old. Right. Yeah. So again, this is, this is the magic that happens, Chris, when you give a child equal opportunities to those who can afford to go to some of the best schools. I see. Well, just as a follow-up to everything you just said, do you believe that Filipino artists, or in your case, Filipino dancers, given the support and encouragement they need, can stand side-by-side their international peers? Definitely. But um, the talent is definitely there. But of course, the dance world internationally is very competitive. So you Mm. need to have the proper physique. So... You know, we, we do have the dancers, but again, you know, it's, uh, you really, you need the body, you need the discipline, you need the talent, you need, you need all of those factors. We do have, you know, artists like that here, but they need, they need all of that to be yes. able to succeed abroad, um, you know, and, you know, so we, it, it that narrows down the, the numbers. I mean, especially with classical dance. With modern mm-hmm. dance, I think we have many extraordinary, uh, very talented. Uh, you know, modern dance allows more body types to come into the picture. Classical mm-hmm. ballet, unfortunately, you really need the feet and you need the proportion and you need the face and you need everything. It's much tougher. But absolutely, mm-hmm. given the opportunity of the right training here, absolutely, you can make it anywhere in the world. Great. Well, Sophia, I was going to say, this has been truly wonderful. Thank you very much. Before I let you go, I wanted us to do some rapid fire questions. Are you ready? <laughs> Uh-oh. Okay. Okay. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Favorite city you've been to? Uh, New York. Morning or evening? Morning. A favorite food? Adobo. (laughs) (laughs) Are you a texter or do you prefer talking over the phone? Both. (laughs) Okay. Uh, City life or country life? Both. All right. If you weren't an artist, what do you think you've been? You're not going to believe this. But two things I've I've discovered in myself lately. I love flowers, so probably I would, you know, learn You'd be a florist. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or something to do with that. And 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 the other thing I really I'm finding that I really love is jewelry. So maybe I would ah. I would have you know gone into jewelry design. But it's interesting, both are very artistic. Right. So they it would be something yeah. Either, you know, owning a beautiful flower shop and designing, you know, arrangements and things or or designing jewelry. I think these are two things that lately I've been sort of more fast. Yes, more. You know, this pandemic makes you, allows you actually to start doing 
a little more for yourself and, and showing you Correct. what you really enjoy. So, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Interesting. So, red or white wine? Red. Sport you wish you excelled at? Oh, um, uh, swimming. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a fav- your favorite holiday to celebrate? Christmas. Okay. Showers or bath? Bath, 100%. <laughs> well, <laughs> With bubbles. <laughs> nice, nice. Is there a place you still want to visit? Many. Okay. Your best subject in school? Oh, gosh. Uh, art. <laughs> <laughs> Which language you wish you knew how to speak? uh maybe french okay i mean i you know i i speak you know spanish and english now right so i would love to be able to speak good french all right one final question name an artist that have inspired you uh there's been many but okay. um, i would say margot fontaine i see you know you know she was of our ballerina time. yes she was you know she was one of the when I was growing up, I mean, she was, she was somebody we really looked up to. And she, she was a beautiful person, not only as a dancer, but as a human being. And, um, you know, one of the great leaders of dancing in, during our time. I see. Well, th- I think that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for joining me and letting us have a short glimpse of your everyday artistic life. It's been great and it's been truly wonderful. Thank you so much. For listeners who are interested in asking some follow-up questions, please leave them in the comment section. We'll try to send this to Sophia and get back to you. Thank you, Sophia. I look forward to having you, your students, and your guests on the stages of Samsung Performing Arts Theater real soon. You know what, Chris? I can't wait. I can't wait to dance at that theater. (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you too, Chris. If you enjoyed today's episode, Please don't forget to subscribe on your favorite channels. State of the Arts is a weekly podcast and is available on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. We're also on Facebook and Twitter with the handle at stateoftheartsph. Share with your friends, family, and fellow arts aficionados and help us get the word out. For the latest news, including upcoming events and important happenings at the Samsung Performing Arts Theater, visit their website at samsungperformingartstheater.com or follow the Tears official social media channels with the handle at CPAT official. You may also visit our sponsor affiliate pages, Circuit Makati and Make It Makati. Thank you for joining me today. Till next time.